Hi, I'm Andrea, and this is Empowered by Darkness, a podcast for anyone seeking to dive deep into all parts of themselves, especially the darker ones, to become empowered by the integration of these into uncovering your unique expression and purpose. Here we shed light on the self-hatred, the resentment, the need for validation and saving, the fear of being loved, the illusion of power in damaging patterns, and many more topics that will challenge you to bloom wherever you are currently planted. Welcome to your life's work. Take a seat and let's get started. Hi, welcome all to the Empowered by Darkness podcast. I am your host, Andrea. I am so grateful to have you here today to listen to what is actually the second part of an episode that has been previously published on this podcast. If you have not listened to it before, I highly encourage that you do. It will be linked down below in the description. And I encourage you to listen to this first part as it sets the tone for what I will be talking about today. But I did want to give um, at the start of this episode today a brief kind of synopsis of what I covered last time. Um, I left off really in a cliffhanger (laughs) describing an opportunity that I was given um, back in 2021 uh, to teach at a program called Teach for America. If you aren't familiar with Teach for America, it is a program that aims to help high-need regions all over the United States. Um, It helps serve these regions and their educational systems by sending over um, individuals that will be teaching at the schools and helping um, faculty and these individuals, most of them are recent college graduates that studied a subject that is, you know, could could be needed by the institution. So it could be English, it could be math, science. I studied English and I was given the opportunity to teach ninth grade English in Mississippi. And I live in California, so it's quite far from where I'm situated. But I had accepted the offer at the time, and I was headed to teach there in the fall. But then something dramatic occurred in my life, and I had to completely reevaluate what were my plans in that moment. What happened was that my mother was diagnosed with cancer, and her diagnosis really shifted my goals because for the first time in all of my life I had to confront her mortality and that was always one of my biggest fears growing up being very attached to her in the absence of my father who left my family at when I was 15 and what was ironic about this time is that two of my biggest fears became a reality. I knew that I would remain at home to be her caregiver because my brothers were working full-time jobs at the time and I 
it, it did not bother me to give up this opportunity straight out of college to stay at home because I felt the need to do so and and I was grateful to be able to do so, to be given a choice. Um, so I, at the time, my fear of my mom's mortality became compounded by my fear of not having anything that I could fall back on that was an achievement that could attest to what I thought was my worth as a person. So I didn't have Teach for America to fall back on to say and to say to the world, hey, look, this is what I am currently doing. Um, hey, look, I am moving ahead in life and I am pursuing this opportunity. And I had always been the person that had something lined up about um, regarding my career. I always had something lined up for what was next in my trajectory. And in this moment, I had no idea what I was going to do when I let go of, of teaching um, at the Delta region. So I was left in a kind of standstill moment. And I started wondering if I was really as worthy as I thought that I was when, you, when I had this academic achievement removed from who I was. So I started asking myself, you know, what's left when you remove achievement from my identity? And for you, that question might be what's left when you remove blank from the picture in your life. And you could fill that blank with anything. You could fill it with what's left when you remove your current income. What's left when you remove the partner that you currently have. What's left when you remove the position of power that you may be in at this moment, what's left when you remove the stability that you have um, family-wise, economic-wise. So for me, that was a big moment of being uprooted from what I had always known. So I, I spent really after this a year being a caregiver. And it was my first time being in the role of being a caregiver and I will be delving in future episodes into what that was like for me. And I, I was a caregiver. My brothers were still in their full-time jobs. There were many moments when really I felt like I wasn't doing enough for my mother. I wasn't doing enough for myself and taking care of myself, being in that role. It was very emotionally exhausting and... There were many days when I would kind of lock myself in the restroom because I didn't have my own bedroom and I would break down. I, I didn't know how to appease the physical and the emotional pain that I saw my mother experience. So I would keep it all inside, all of the boiling frustration, fear. Fear was very palpable in those days. The fear of having her not respond well to treatment. The fear of having her experience such physical agony that she would not be able to continue with treatment. So there were many instances in which I felt like I had zero control and, and I felt like I was trying to hold on to parts of my identity that I recalled that made me feel worthy, 
I, I tried to hold on to the fact that I had just graduated from an undergraduate institution. And I tried to tell myself that not a lot of people accomplished that and that I should feel proud of myself for that and not feel guilty for, for being at a standstill moment career-wise for me. But it was still difficult because as I described in the, the episode that precedes this one, when you build your identity so deeply upon achievement um, academically, any pitfall that comes along the way in that trajectory, it really makes you feel like all progress, all achievement amounts to nothing. It amounts to a moment of, of not being able to hold on to anything else to have a sense of stability. And during this time, I, I really felt like the years that I spent in school were worthless in many ways. I started reflecting on the way that I had always been on a, on a moving forward mentality. Um, in school growing up, I was constantly being pushed to achieve and to move on to the next goal and to be able to be outstanding um, based on the community that I grew up in in Compton. And when I had my undergraduate degree and I felt like I couldn't do much with it, I started questioning why I had placed so much value in the opinions of those following me along in this path of, of academics. And I had not actually looked within to see what I was good at. So it was really a moment for me of coming back to my trajectory and examining it and trying to figure out when I stopped, when the moment came for me to stop being a caregiver, what was I going to do for myself now in, in that moment? What was I going to do to start listening to that voice within that wanted to feel like she was on a path that really developed internally instead of developing from the external opinions and influences of others um, that were unhealthy at that point. And what ended up occurring was that during this time, I was, I was living at home. I was, like I said, most days were spent really seeing the amount of pain and and despair that my mom was experiencing and, and going to doctor's visits. I spent a lot of time at the hospital. I spent a lot of time trying to really have moments where I would be by myself and, and feel okay, but I, I was still going through moments where I would journal and I would have very negative, negative thoughts about myself and negative thoughts about my situation. So without realizing it, I started actually spiraling into searching for a distraction any way that I could. And during this time, I came head on with the realization that I had very low self-worth and, and self-esteem. And I was searching for validation everywhere that I could hold on to. And I was searching for a relief of the discomfort that I was feeling anywhere that I could turn to. And 
my my self-worth and my self-esteem were very low at this time because I felt naked for the first time in my life metaphorically I felt like I didn't have anything I could hide behind like for example teacher America for me was uh, something that I could hide myself behind this achievement because whenever somebody would check in on me or I would have conversations with people in my life and they would ask how I was doing I would put this achievement that I just reached in front of me and it would be enough for the other person to stop inquiring about my life I would tell them yes I have this opportunity lined up in the Delta region and that would become everything they understood about me in that moment and it was everything that I wanted them to understand about me in that moment I didn't want them to see the uncomfortable emotions I didn't want them to see how I felt depressed in that moment in my life I didn't want them to inquire more about the way that I was dealing with having an a sick parent that was battling a breast cancer diagnosis and for me finally not having anything to hide behind I felt naked I felt like I was finally being perceived by those around me as unworthy which is what I felt inside I felt like it was finally visible and you can imagine how feeling that exposed to the rest of the world and and holding at the time I held a very negative image of the rest of the world I thought that that people only cared to see you winning in life, to see you having some sort of stability. I thought that people, that that's what mattered to people. And if they didn't see yourself in that light, they wouldn't see you as enough. And, and back then I, I cared that much about others' opinions that that for me was something heavy to grapple with. So this was the time for me it was a very dark time and and it was obviously preceded in college when I was in college by many experiences that mirrored what happened when my mom got her diagnosis but I think it got really bad during the time that I was her caregiver um, I I started really engaging in a lot of one-sided connections that were romantic and I experienced what I didn't know that I, at the time that I was experiencing. I was experiencing relational abuse and with the partner that I had at the time. And I, I didn't question it. I thought that it was just a normal part of, of dating somebody else. And I will give a little bit of context about this, even though I will touch more upon it in future episodes. What I mean by relational abuse is that I had really pretty much come into a codependent dynamic with the partner that I was with. I ignored my own needs. I ignored the shortage of time that I had in most of my days being a caregiver and trying to take care of things around the household when my mom couldn't. I had very short time to to really do anything else, especially what I should have done was take care of myself then, but I didn't do so at the time and 
Instead, I gave that, those moments, I gave them to somebody else. And it was hurtful in the way that as I was giving this other person my time and, and energy, they were, instead of reciprocating that effort, they were taking more and they were asking for, for more and it was draining. It was very mentally and emotionally exhausting and I didn't come to a realization that that, well, that was the dynamic that was occurring until much later. So for me, really what it was that, that I termed, what came for me, what had to happen for me to term it abuse was the things that my partner would say about me that were dismissive, that were manipulative, the things that we would experience whenever we had physical intimacy the moments where I wanted certain advancements made by my partner to stop and I talked myself into just continuing on with what was occurring because I thought that I owed that person that comfort of seeing that what they were doing was okay even though I felt very uncomfortable in that situation and and I had to do a lot of work on myself years later to realize that I had to forgive myself for for really feeling like I was at fault. Even feeling like I was at fault because I didn't use my voice, but at the time I could I employed the use of the body language, the facial expressions that I was having that showed discomfort and that the other person, my partner had to see had to be aware of and perhaps you know more than likely they were aware of them but they continued with the uncomfortable advances and it was just coming to a reckoning of of those things and and really years later seeing that I was not at fault but it felt like it for a very long time knowing that the parent the only parent that I had left had a diagnosis and and was already halfway through a treatment that just kept on having various procedures added to um if you've never had a family member or a loved one that has had cancer it's a very long process and it has many added factors to it that come along the way as you start treatment and it becomes a dynamic that you don't exactly know how to navigate. You think that one thing is over and all of a sudden there's another thing that arises that calls your attention forth and and you have to really start just every day is just being an acceptance of, of what is in front of you today and and trying your best for that moment to be present with your loved one and support them the best way possible you can for that moment because nothing is assured and obviously nothing is assured in life in general but with this diagnosis it felt that way like things could blow up in any moment and after my mother um, got into remission for the illness 
I still felt that sensation of, of things really, I felt like in any moment they were going to take a turn for the worse. And my nervous system was very out of whack due to that fear. And I was also in, in these relationships to improve my self-esteem. Having someone that found me attractive gave me a confidence boost. I am sure that using these sexual and intimate encounters to cope with my childhood trauma was also a factor. And there's actually a principle in psychology that states that we become sexually attracted to people that recreate unresolved conflicts from our childhood. And what I mean by this is that we um, unconsciously become turned on and attracted by people that replay dynamics in our childhood that are unresolved. So what I experienced as a woman was being attracted to a man that was emotionally unavailable that was at times neglectful and as a woman with low self-esteem I became attracted to that dynamic not consciously because I told myself consciously that I wanted somebody that was emotionally available but what I was attracting what I was searching for and accepting into my life was the complete opposite of that and I felt quote-unquote safe and comfortable in that dynamic because it was familiar even though I didn't actually experience real safety because now I know that with experiencing real safety you can let your guard down and you have that possibility of showing your authentic self and that was never the case with my past relations so besides validation I, w I was using these relations as distractions. I had constant outings planned. I had constant physical intimacy. I was able to ignore my emotions and it was easy to be in these dynamics. It was as easy and nowadays I, I look at it and it makes me feel quite sad that it's so easy to go into a dating app to to log into these applications that are there to connect you with other people. And it's so easy to f meet someone and let them into your life. Like at the time, I had very, very little boundaries. Um, it's so simple to let them in, to have very minimal boundaries and have them become a part of your life, have them text you consistently, have them take you on dates, even if they are dates that are mediocre and they're not even getting close to what your worth as a woman is, as a man is. But these experiences keep you at a constant state of movement and distraction and they absorb all of your attention. And when you are so desperately looking to not feel what is going on inside of you, what what emotions are arising, what pain is yearning to be heard, when you so desperately don't want to feel any of that, having this container of a connection that constantly has something going on is the best way to offset whatever is giving you that feeling of lacking control within.
And that's what I did for a very long time. I did not question the codependency, doing everything for the other person, even if it made me uncomfortable, putting them on a pedestal, even if they didn't deserve it. I didn't question struggling to find time for myself because my time was consistently going to somebody else that wasn't even appreciating it. I didn't question trying to rescue men that had addictions and insecurities. I didn't question putting the responsibility on myself to meet the needs of others at the expense of my own needs. And if you're listening to these things and you're nodding your head and and acknowledging deep down that this is currently you, that you are currently doing these things with somebody else, I really have a lot of compassion for you in this moment and, and for what you're you're going through. Because if I am being completely honest, somebody could have told me that I was going through these things, that I was doing what I just listed. And it wouldn't have struck me as anything important at the time. I would have acknowledged it at face value and I would have thought, well, this is working for me in this moment because I am trying to stay afloat and if this dynamic is helping me I'm going to keep doing it because at at the time that I was doing these things I was in a very negative mentality I thought that everybody was out for themselves I thought that that was the only way I could take care of myself really experiencing this degree of of being detached from who I was to a, to attach myself to somebody else to feel like I was in movement and in in control when the reality was that I had zero control but I say that to really just show you in this moment that I feel for for your situation and I think that it is a process. I think that sometimes these codependent dynamics really come to teach us important lessons that we, at our own time, come to realization of and healing of and and eventually empowerment from. So moving on, I I also experienced a very difficult period of depression and self-hatred. I went through this phase living at home, being back in the place where all of my childhood played out, in which I felt at the mercy of my past. I was trying during this time to avoid as much of the day as possible. I had thoughts of self-harm. I was drinking. I had random sexual encounters. I had started to consume more pornography because it distracted me from uncomfortable emotions that were arising. I had my vices. What were my vices at the time were really in full swing. I was drinking, I was using social media validation to feel some sense of worth and my insecurities were really breeding a lot of self-punishment that I didn't even realize I was punishing myself with. I was working out very unhealthily. I started planning plastic surgery. 
I hated my personality. I suppressed it by changing myself around others, around friends, around love interests. I was doing these things because I felt this deep sense of not being enough. I felt this this feeling when I was at the worst of it. I would use the word disillusionment a lot. I felt disillusioned with life, disillusioned with people, disillusioned with the way that my childhood had made me into who I was in that moment. I felt like I was broken. And that's the word that a lot of people use when they've experienced trauma and childhood and, and abuse. They feel a sense of having all of these pieces of themselves be scattered and make zero sense. But you have also the sense that everyone can see that, that everyone can see that you have no way of putting them back together into somebody that presents themselves to the world as confident, as secure, as grounded. It feels like that is an impossibility, like something that you will never be able to have because everything that you've ever known is the opposite of that. So I also at the time just had this feeling like I needed to be saved from myself saved from the darkness that I felt that was starting to brew up in my being. I literally felt it in the fact that most days I didn't want to get up from bed. I felt this tension in my shoulders all the time. I felt this feeling of wanting to cry whenever the slightest occurrence happened where I felt like I was at fault for something. Like I felt like somebody was blaming me for for something that I said or did. I wanted to start crying. I wanted to break down. And those moments for me felt like they were gonna be all that I would ever know, even though like, there was a part of me that was aware that this wasn't who I was meant to always be. It was a very remote part. And the loudest the most pressing image that I had in my mind was just of me being somebody that would never recover from this. And there were thoughts of self-harm. There were moments where I felt that that could be an avenue. I journaled about them. I have the entries that I look back at sometimes and it really breaks my heart to read how convinced I was at that time that hurting myself, ceasing to exist, was the avenue for me to finally find autonomy and, and find a sense of cohesion and meaning to what was happening in my life. And I, and I kept writing in those journal entries that I knew that my life wasn't that bad because I was aware that the things that I was going through were compared to what others experience. I would write that in, in my journal entries. Compared to what others live, I know that my situation is not as drastic. It's not as painful. I would downplay what I was experiencing. But still, 
I would feel like the days would just compound into each other. It would be the same shade of, of dread and, and melancholy. It would be overwhelming to continue existing and that not knowing if I would ever be able to stand firmly in myself and in my identity, which I didn't even know what that was. So I think there were many factors that moved me out of this period, but one of the biggest ones was really having an an inner feeling. I don't I've tried to describe it before like in my book and in podcasts that I've spoken at in the past. But the feeling really came from looking at myself, trying to step outside of myself and and see my situation for the turns that it was taking that were scary. It was scary to be waiting so anxiously for the day to reach the afternoon and the evening time because I would be able to get my hands on beer or wine or champagne to drink and to numb. It was scary to see myself look up stories of people that had committed suicide, to find myself agreeing with all of the thoughts and emotions that they were experiencing, and myself finding myself validating these. It was scary to see myself be completely numb to having a sexual encounter with someone and having all of my boundaries be walked upon and ignored. It was scary to see the way that I cared so little for experiencing the day that I would continue to push the time that I would wake up because I just wanted a respite from it all. When I started feeling that fear for what was going to happen if I continued down that pathway, I thought, no one's going to come to save you. Literally, no one is because you just keep expanding upon these avenues that have been so hurtful until now. And you are going to continue expanding upon them. And the crazy part is that no one is going to come save you because you're so good at hiding it. Whenever my mom would not be present, I would do these things. Whenever I would be around her, around my brothers, I would conceal it. I would put on a mask. And in my mind, nobody was aware. So I was holding the weight of being in the darkness. And I was holding the weight of knowing that I had to get out of the darkness in some way. And I, and I was going to have to figure it out myself because I couldn't afford reaching for help. In my mind, that's the way that it was. I couldn't reach for therapy. I couldn't reach for an intervention. I just couldn't be somebody else's burden, especially not my mother's burden, knowing all the things she was going through. So I had no idea how to get out of it. (laughs) And what I did was... The, the most basic thing that I thought in my mind was if I have these constant, like, if I had this bombardment of negative thoughts, I need something that is going to just be like another, like, offsetting bombardment of, of positivity, bombardment of hope, 
mainly I don't even like to use positive the word positivity I think at the time I couldn't even conceive of that word so I needed a and a surplus of hope to just come into my life in some capacity so I did it through books I started reading memoirs every single morning I would force myself to wake up really early to read memoirs and about people that had gone through some of the most difficult life situations and found themselves on the other side learning from everything that had happened to them picking up at least one small piece of hope and meaning from it. And those memoirs were a respite in those days that I started delving into them. And whenever I would be around the house, I would have my earphones on. I would be listening to podcasts. I would be listening to motivational videos. I would be having this constant intake of of other people's voices because I needed to get out of my voice, the voice in my head that was just tearing me down every single day. That is why I have so much respect for the day and age that we live in where we could put out our stories and our, our advice, our take on life in platforms like this one, because you never know who's listening. You, I'd have, I have no idea who's listening to me right now, but I know s- at least one person is. And if I can help that person, like the help that I received during that time that I was very much in the depths of despair, I will feel so grateful for that opportunity to give back for all of the help that I received at this time. So I also started a journaling practice. I started a gratitude practice. I prayed more. I exercised. I stretched. Little things that I I started adding with time as I felt myself um, grow in strength to do so. So I started coming to the realization that I needed to distance myself from many people that I had brought into my life during this period that were like I mentioned before, distractions and coping mechanisms. So I started distancing myself and and I knew that I had to change the approach that I was having to connecting with others. And I didn't know how I was going to do that, so I just realized in that moment I need space from, from this that I've caged myself in, thinking that that was liberation when it was the opposite of liberation. And... At first, being in a space in which I had no one surrounding me, I had no one romantically that I could go to, I had, I didn't even talk to friends during this time. Most of the friends that I thought were companions at the time fell away as they saw me prioritizing my my mental health and my emotions. They stopped texting, they stopped wanting to hang out, and there was a very uncomfortable silence during this time that I kept being tempted to fill with noise, with something that would be, that would make me feel like my life was moving somewhere. Because the funny thing about having this much space all of a sudden and silence was that it just magnified the feeling of not knowing where I was going or what was going to happen next. It, it magnified that to an extent that I felt very uncomfortable. 
And what it also did was it magnified how I viewed myself, how I talked to myself. So I started really paying more attention to the dialogue that I was using to communicate with me and the things that I was assuming about my personality and about my worth. And I really experienced a a period of just deep reflection and starting to visualize that there was a different way of living my life. I started to see that I had power to change. And at the time, perhaps I wasn't ready to do so yet, but I jumped into doing it because for me, it was another resource. I know that it will not be a resource for everyone, but I'd always loved writing. I'd always loved connecting with others. I... I consider myself to be a very creative individual. So at the time, I felt this urge to show others what I was discovering within myself because I knew it was something special. I didn't know where it was headed, but I knew it was, it was, it could be of value to somebody else. So I published, well, I worked on my book and I published my book, The Energized Self. And I also became very active on social media in a way that was completely different from the way that I was active in the past. It was no longer seeking attention for my body, attention for my my physical features, attention for the things that I was claiming I was doing with my life that were interesting and successful. Now it turned into attention for a message that I had to share that felt true to my heart at that time. And that was obviously very daunting, you know, just all of a sudden changing the way you present yourself to the world, but it felt like an introduction to what was really my authentic self. And even though I was showing these parts of myself online and how I was growing from them, I was still being very harsh on myself with the presentation of these. I was critiquing my writing, I was doubting my creative approach, I was changing my book to match what I thought my editor would believe was more easily read instead of going with that gut feeling that the way that I wrote and expressed was going to be understandable for the right crowd, for the right audience. So I was still doubting. I was still trying to people please. I was constantly stressed out about my social media appearance because honestly, at the time that I was posting, It felt like everything that I posted from the heart, everything that I posted that I felt a deep resonance with was the kind of posts that had the least interaction and everything that I posted that magnified a superficial aspect of my message. Like I could have posted something very, very heartfelt and very true to my story. And if I didn't post that with like a selfie or with a a nice colorful you know, physical depiction of me, it it wouldn't get the same interaction. And that was disheartening, to say the least. But my imposter syndrome very much was still playing out during this time. And I reached this point in which I, I realized that I was portraying somebody that I thought was going to be liked. I was still doing that, even though the messages were different now that I was showing online. They were more authentic. I was still hiding behind the messages 
who I am as I speak to you in this podcast. I, I was not really showing these parts of myself that you have gotten to see through these recordings. It was also my first time really venturing into the world of self-development and healing, so I had many insecurities behind my approach, behind my, my observations, behind the epiphanies that I had. There was a lot of who am I to be talking about this? Who am I to be teaching this? There was a lot of copying the approach of others, so it started feeling really emotionally exhausting and inauthentic, point blank. There was a point where I really had to step away from social media and any further engagement with pieces of my personal life that I'd given exposure to. I started doubting my book. I started regretting the publishment of it. And I've never told anybody this, but I I did feel that regret because I, I was criticizing it. I started really expecting criticism whenever somebody would read it and comment about it. And what I started doing that I laugh at now, but looking back, I'm like, I can't believe I was doing that. I started providing explanations to readers that would that would reach out to me about my book. And I, I would provide these explanations, even though they were saying good things about the book, I would I would always end the conversation saying, Well, you know, this isn't my best work. This is this is my first book. I'm still learning, I'm still growing. And Really, that was an unnecessary comment, but it was my way of compensating for what I thought was this big lack that everybody had to have noticed. And that goes back to, you know, my sense of self-worth, my sense of being this imposter that has published a book, but, you know, no one's really going to like it. In my mind, I kept having those thoughts. No one's really going to take value from it. And even if they do say that they're getting value from it, You know, there must be a catch. There must be a bigger proportion of people that are finding it to be bad than the proportion that are finding it to be helpful. So the year of 2022, for me, it was was a very pivotal year. It was one of constant up and down emotions, being in my head a lot, being aware of my thoughts, letting them flow for the first time instead of suppressing them. And the relationship with myself was really highlighted during this this year. So I discover really how intrusive my thoughts are. I, I really, I have the blessing of starting to work with autistic adults. So at this time, I, my mom's treatment, you know, starts getting to a point in which I can now return to the workforce and I get a job uh, working as a behavioral technician with adults that are on the spectrum. And this job just completely changes my view of success. It, it really reinvents for me my view of joy, and it helps me step outside of my self-destructive thoughts that were very rampant at this time. This job brought me back to my heart, if I'm being completely honest. I... I would smile all the time talking to people about the kids that I got to work with. Um, I call them kids, but they're actually adults. They're around my age. But they're just some of the most endearing and, and authentic human beings that I have gotten the opportunity to meet in my life. And, and I start really seeing through my job with them 
where my heart is at and where my intentions are at. And I start placing value on that. Actually, one thing that happened one day when I was at a home therapy session, I was sitting outside on the porch. I was looking at my client who was playing with his little brother. And I just came to this realization that I didn't need to be anything or anyone other than who I was in that moment. I thought if I stayed in this moment as I currently am, I would be enough. This would be enough. I would have enough. I don't, even, I don't even know how I came to that realization. It just felt like the moment birthed that feeling, birthed that certainty. So I finally, starts happening slowly, but it's happening that I start equating success with the feeling of wholeness and the work that I'm doing because I feel how my heart is in it for the first time. I start feeling expansive. I start finding meaning. And I start realizing how it has always been me who has mentally pushed myself to want more, to be more. No one else was doing it. So this job, what it does is it, it increases my self-worth because I start valuing traits in me that I'd never given much importance to. I start seeing that the way that I show up in the world, that my compassion, my attention to detail, my empathy, my creativity, my sensitivity, it has so much value. And it is what brings me joy to exist in these qualities, exist in these ways of dealing with other people and dealing with myself. So slowly, these signs of the internal work that I've been doing on myself and the, the decision that I made to step away from connections that weren't serving me, from dynamics of being that were hurting and keeping me at a place that was small and really unempowered, I start seeing the importance of the internal work starting to trickle in. You know, I get to talk to students at schools and share my, my story. I get more testimonies of readers that have given my book an, a chance and that have taken so much from it. I get accepted into a master's program that aligns with my core traits that I just shared of sensitivity and, and empathy. Um, this master's program is one where I get to train to be a therapist. So I make this huge shift in my career focus, but it feels so aligned. It feels so right for me in that moment. And I just want to share with anyone that's listening that is currently in academia. I made this shift in career and it wasn't easy. I got rejected the first time around from a master's program in therapy. And I cried and I went through a period of a feeling like this wasn't for me. And I started questioning everything all over again. But there was a voice inside of me that I now see as my intuition that told me, keep trying, keep at it, keep at this path, because it's going to breed something that is aligned with who you are at your core. So I gave it another shot. You know, I worked with these amazing adults for a year and I got accepted to more than one program. And I'm now on that pathway. And I know that I want to do something in education with my preparation in therapy and in psychology, but only time will tell where that takes me. But for now, I know that I am where I need to be. 
So I really, at this time of seeing things come together in a way that I didn't expect them to, I start to fall in love with all the parts of my growth up to then. I start seeing more clearly after spending a year away from creating, from being on social media, I start seeing that I really need to take more time to find my voice, to find what really is my voice, what are what limiting beliefs, what false narratives, what doubts and anxieties are keeping me from discovering that voice that people need to hear because it's going to resonate with someone that hasn't heard things said in the way that they need them to be said, for it to touch their soul, to touch their hearts. So I really start trying to build trust in myself through sitting with my negative emotions and letting them tell me what they need from me. I start stepping away from those new faces that are entering my life that I can still discern are not keeping my internal peace, but are disrupting it. So I start being more mindful, more intentional about the way that I am speaking to myself, that I am listening to my internal narratives. I start being more mindful about the conversations that I'm having with new people that are entering my my space. And I start desiring almost without even realizing it through time. I start desiring to create again, to, to share myself again with with all of you I start seeing how my intuition has taken me everywhere that I've needed to go until now you know I the idea of this podcast I had it way back way like a year back um but it wasn't the right time my mom was looking for a job after she finished her treatment and my intuition told me that it was important for me to focus on helping her in that period and taking care of my mental health because I was still trying to cope with very intrusive thoughts. So when I started interviewing for graduate schools, my intuition told me that it was still not the time to start a podcast because I was reflecting on my journey until then for my interviews and I needed space and I needed more gentle, um, a gen- more gentle approach on my part to really being with myself in that moment and and preparing for this transition in my life that was about to happen career-wise. So it isn't until things in my life and um, start to quiet down, start to fall into place, that there's this inkling in me that wants to share, that wants to talk, that wants to stop hiding behind another's perspective and finally find her own. And I start doing that through writing first on on a blog that I have on on Medium, the platform Medium. And then I think, hey, I want to actually use my physical voice um, to come into a really a, a space of becoming an empowerment that I, from the very start, from the moment that I felt this deep depression and despair, I... I finally come to that realization I want to start stepping into that empowerment that I feel brewing inside of me for the first time. And this, you know, we've come to the end of this episode, but, and I know it's been a long one too, like the first part of this this installment, but I felt like I needed to share all of those parts because 
I wanted to make it clear that there were many pitfalls, there were many ups and downs in me coming to feeling like I can sit down in front of this mic and be completely blunt with all of you. But if I am here, I also have the certainty that in a couple of years, I will be in a completely different mind space, but I will also be very respectful and honoring of where I am in this moment and the lessons that I've had to learn to be able to share and feel in my heart that this is my voice. And I encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, um, now to close off, I encourage you to have patience, have kindness, and have a sense of really just the certainty, even if you feel an inkling of it, that your specific circumstance is leading you where you need to go at the exact moment that you need to be there at with the exact people with whatever needs to fall away for it to happen because it will happen and you will arrive and thank you again for listening and I can't wait to speak to you in the next episode so thank you and sending you all of my love. Bye. There is no right time to begin working on the parts of ourselves we may have neglected for the majority of our lives. If you're here, it is for a reason. I am so proud of you for asking the tough questions and delving into what comes of these. May you find the deepest healing and transformation on this path. Thank you.